Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Monday, February 5th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, how will Mississippi lawmakers cut Medicaid costs and also help more people? You'll hear from state senators on reauthorizing the program. In our story core, a conversation on the benefit of having a teacher who later becomes a lifelong friend. And a National Highway Safety Report recommends changes in Mississippi state laws. Find out who could be saved and how. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Senate bill seeks to cut Medicaid costs for 750,000 Mississippians while improving health outcomes. Some say it's one of the most significant bills that will be taken up this legislative session. Every three years or so, legislators have to review the Medicaid program and reauthorize its operation. Republican Bryce Wiggins of Pascagoula chairs the Medicaid committee. He says his goal is to cut costs and improve health outcomes. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier more about his bill. The overall bill, what it tries to do is uh, improve health outcomes for the Medicaid population, which now ranges about 750,000 Mississippians, and at the same time to address the always rising costs in the program. Um, We have a one billion in state dollars that we fund Medicaid. That's the largest single budget item, as as far as I know, and seven billion when you add in the federal dollars. And the cost just continually to go up, even when the Medicaid eligible population goes down. And by improving the health outcomes, we can reduce the cost that we have to pay out down the road. And a lot of the problems in this population, but also in Mississippi in in general, are chronic things like diabetes, uh, uh, obesity, and um, a lot of the population that we're dealing with needs to be addressed without going to the emergency room. So some of the things in the bill are 
We're giving more flexibility to the Division of Medicaid to work with providers on prescriptions, to work with hospitals on who they treat. Another thing that we do in the bill is provide, uh, encourage opioid treatment and uh, encourage or, or allow for reimbursement for what's called 17P, which talking to everybody that's in the know uh, is there and helps reduce preterm births. And Mississippi's 50th or number one in preterm births, depending on how you look at it. And we have to address the preterm births. So that allows that to do it. So those are a lot of the the new additional things. Uh, Also in the bill, it has the managed care program and whether the expansion of putting all Medicaid-eligible population into managed care. Speaking of providers, will the reimbursements change? So what you may have heard was that there was a, quote, 5% cut. Well, in reality, uh, there's always more to the story. Current law, it says there shall be a 5% across-the-board cut. That is a cost containment provision put in by the legislature some time ago. Clearly, the legislature was concerned about the rising costs. What has happened is providers throughout the state have been exempted from that. So over a, peri- over a period of time, they were exempted from this cost containment provision to, to the point where it was basically non-effective. So ultimately, a bill has to pass. Well, it doesn't have to pass, no. Um, I think the, the will is that one will pass, but no, it doesn't have to pass. I mean, if one doesn't pass, what happens? Well, then you don't have a Medicaid program. Well, then it has to pass. Well, but that's what I'm saying. You know, we, if, if we, we Republicans get beat up all the time, and, you know, we could simply get rid of it. But I don't see that happening. But, yeah, if it doesn't pass, then we don't have a Medicaid program. So, uh, so does it have to pass? No, it doesn't have to pass. Um, do, do I think that people want it to pass? Yes because uh, of what I've said. But, yeah, if it, if it doesn't pass, then we don't have a Medicaid program. So, so we'll see what happens. The final product will be at the end of the session. So that would be one of the last things you think you'll vote on? Most likely, yeah. Now, anything can happen, but, yes, that will be because it, I think it's going to go to conference, and that's when we do the conference reports. Well, thank you so much, Senator Wiggins, for okay. your time in explaining this. Sure. Thank you. Democratic Senator Sally Norwood of Jackson is on the Medicaid committee. He tells MPB's Desiree Frazier what he hopes to see. I can tell you more than what I'm looking for in the bill, and that's just to make sure that we're not cutting services to, to citizens. And I mean, that we have a mandatory and then we have optional services. And um, mandatory services can't be cut, but the optional services, we want to make sure that those optional services are available. And then we're also concerned about the number of prescriptions, not limiting the number of prescriptions because, you know, if um, citizens are required to only get a number of prescriptions, then you can also, you know, compromise their, their wealth and their health overall. So. This is a complicated bill. Uh, Senator Wiggins mentioned that they're going to, uh, in the bill, leave it up to Medicaid and the providers to determine how many visits the uh, patient may need versus having a limited number of doctor visits per year for Medicaid recipients. Your thoughts on that? I trust the physicians to, you know, to, do, to do the right thing. 
I don't want to put a, a limit on there. You know, um, you know whether it's three or four, uh, 12, but at least that they be allowed to see the position as they need it, and that way it could keep their conditioning from deteriorating even greater. So I'm in support of, you know, in consultation with the physician. I mean, I just a personal case. I went to the doctor Friday, got out and had a cold uh, over the weekend, so I had to get back in to see my doctor. That was not something that I planned, but at least, you know, uh, individual citizens should also have the, that same option there because, you know, you just can't forecast when you're going to get sick. What is the biggest challenge in dealing with Medicaid and trying to reauthorize the program? Medicaid is, is quite, um, you know, quite an expensive undertaking, but people that access Medicaid are individuals that, that are sick. Our population is not as healthy for various reasons, so obviously it's going to cost us a little bit more. And I think if we can invest more money on the front end in terms of preventive health, then it would help us as, as we get an aged population and the health challenges would become greater. And what we also hear is the need to save money. But you know, we're not really saving money because what we do, most of our citizens, if they can't go use Medicaid and go and get the, uh, to a primary uh, physician, they're going to go to the emergency room. So in the end, somebody's going to have to pay the cost uh, one way or another. So I think that if we can start education uh, and we can start our preventive uh, medication, I think that that would help us uh, in terms of saving money. But just uh, you know, restricting the number of visits, restricting the uh, prescription—that's on a limited, that's on a limited basis—and it's going to cost more probably in the long run. Do you anticipate a lot of debate on this bill? I do. I mean, we're still in, we're still doing research now, uh, and in consultation with physicians, in consultation with the Medicaid uh, community, and gathering data. I know we've talked about the plan that that Kentucky adding the work component uh, into that, and I don't think any. I've not talked to anybody that's opposed to individuals that are able to work, but a Medicaid population is not such that you have a a, a mass onslaught of able-bodied individuals that's, uh, that's not working. So that's going to be something that's going to be, it's a red hair, something that we always throw out that these people are not working, they can't work, and that is just not the case. You're basically talking about women and children, and you're talking about a disabled population. That's basically the predominant population that's uh, is accessing Medicaid. And we don't want to hurt that population in the interim because if we do, then we're going to pay for it later on. Democratic Senator Sally Norwood of Jackson with our Desiree Frazier. Coming up in our StoryCorps, a conversation on the benefit of having a teacher who later becomes a lifelong friend. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. The relationship between Amelia Brunson and Terry Hunt began as student and teacher, respectively. As a confused student who had trouble fitting in, Amelia found the confidence she had been looking for in Hunt's friendly but firm style of teaching. Now friends, the pair shared their story as part of the StoryCorps mobile tour in Jackson. Essentially, this is a story about how 
you were the bridge for me between the person I used to be and who I'm currently becoming as a person. You know, you came into my life at a very critical time where I wasn't very self-confident. I had a lot of questions and you helped me answer a lot of them. But I didn't know you that well till we went to San Antonio on a class trip. That's when I found out you liked giraffes. (laughs) The San Antonio trip is where I like first felt a real sense of belonging like with the people that I was around be it my friends you people that I had never met that was the first time I took students out of Mississippi to begin (laughs) with and that was funny because I don't like that kind of responsibility but and and it was my first time to be in a for a long time with the group of students and to hear their stories Let me ask you this. I mean, you say that coming in the classroom and being in that was really gave you a sense of yourself. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit previous to that, what it was like. I went to a Madison Ridgeland Academy, and my mom had decided to move us to this school because um, my brother wasn't necessarily getting along with the people in his grade. A friend of the family had recently moved her children there, so my mom, she really just wanted us to have the best education possible I personally really enjoyed going to Northwestern again in elementary school. I didn't see a reason for me to go to this school, but of course, as a second grader, I didn't have much say in that. So I went to MRA for eight years. Overall, the pain definitely outweighed the pleasures of that experience. Why? Um, People were just very cruel. They would make fun of me. They would call me fat, tell me I need to wear more makeup, tell me I'm wearing too much makeup when I finally decided to put it on. One of the worst times, though, this girl, she passed around a sheet of paper in class. She wrote at the top, who don't you want to see in a bikini at the pool party this weekend? She passed it around to everybody and made sure to pass it right next to me so that I could see that every single person had written down my name. And that was, that happened in eighth grade. And that that was the year I decided that I didn't have to be around these people anymore. I, I went to school with 40 white, wealthy kids. Then all of a sudden, I'm around everybody. I've, I had lived a sheltered life, you know, being raised to be a certain way, to have certain opinions of certain mm. people, all dictated by my mother, essentially. She's still a wonderful woman. she got strong opinions, though. Really, the pivotal point in eighth grade, I decided not to go to MRA anymore, And I started having a more open mind about what was going on around me. I decided that I could take the plunge and that, I mean, eventually I'll be living in the wide world. Why not Mm -hmm. go ahead and get the culture shock over with? And ultimately, I think it's one of the best decisions I made in my life thus far was to go back to public schooling. I loved it the other day when you said that. um, (laughs) Tell me that when you when you three cried over my disappointment in your... Oh, yeah. We were we just felt so genuinely bad for having disappointed you. No other teacher in the entire history of the world, I think, has a power to do that to people. <laughs> <laughs> it was our final project for the year. I think this it must have been my junior year of high school. But yeah. it had to have these elements. See, I didn't even remember because I didn't do economic, it. <laughs> there you go. I'm still telling you. You should have done it. Social, economic... Stratification, yeah. geographic significance, mm-hmm. cultural awareness or pluralism, policies. Just I don't up. think I ever got yours, did I? No, you never got okay. mine. Just noting that. <laughs> <laughs> do you remember going to Ground Zero? Do you remember I do. Daddy Rich? I do remember Daddy Rich. What did you think of the Catfish? The Catfish Festival? That definitely started my love for the blues. 
just remember sitting out in front of that stage for hours just listening to music. That meant a lot to me, that trip. They had people who did trips at our school, and they would take them to Europe. They'd take them around. All of, but there's a piece that I saw with these kids is that they, they didn't know their own backyard. They didn't know Mississippi. And it's always, it's always the bus ride home. Mm-hmm. You know, planning, it's great and all that. But my favorite part is listening to you on the bus ride home to hear what you took in and who you are and how you've grown. And uh, the bus ride home from the Delta was huge. What did you hear on that trip that you liked? I heard the breakdown of some of the barriers because we had a mixed group, African-Americans, whites. And then to look at it through these different lenses of, of what our history what our family's history and who we are and who we're going to be. So that's what I'd hear. You can't change the world, but you could be a a wave that sends out ripples for miles. And that's exactly what you've done. You've instilled such a sense of hope in me. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. One key question with artificial intelligence is, what happens if it's wrong? Not a big deal if the machine's predicting, say, song choices. But if you made a pedestrian detector that's 99% correct, that sounds good. And then you do the math and think about how many people would die every day if you had, you know, a fleet of those cars. And it's really not very good at all. Exploring the limits of AI. That's this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Today at 4 on NPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi drivers need more regulations in order to improve the state's highway safety rating. This according to the 2018 Roadmap of State Highway Safety Laws. Analysts found at least nine recommended laws they say would reduce fatalities and costs due to crashes. As part of their study, they reviewed tech... technologies and proven state highway safety law. These technologies include collision avoidance, automated speed, and red light enforcement systems and ignition interlocks. Needed state laws address distracted and impaired driving, teen driving, seatbelts, motorcycle helmets, and child safety seats. Peter Kurdock is Regulatory Affairs Director with Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety. He tells us why Mississippi is neither one of the worst or one of the best states for safety. So Mississippi, unfortunately, continues a trend that we've seen nationwide where deaths are up. Uh, In 2016, there were 690 fatalities on Mississippi roads. As compared to 2015, there were 677. Uh, And like I said, that follows a national trend where we saw an increase of 5% from 2015 and 2016 in fatalities nationwide. There are a little over 37,000 fatalities nationwide in America's roads. Do you have information that suggests just what the majority of those accidents are caused by? Yes. Yes and no. Uh, We have known for years that alcohol and speed always pay a huge factor uh, in crashes. But the third factor that is really coming very prominent 
is distraction, unfortunately. And one of the things that we've seen is when states enact a texting ban, which Mississippi has, and they enact a law that prohibits teen drivers from using their phone at all when they're driving, we've seen deaths go down. Unfortunately, Mississippi does not have a law that prohibits young drivers, teen drivers, from using their cell phone, though the state does have a law that prohibits its drivers from texting while driving. It's interesting to me that you know accidents have gone down based on the texting or being distracted by one's phone. Driving while intoxicated, I suppose that goes back so many years. Is there a way to know whether having that law has decreased the number of drunk driving accidents? The laws that we rate related to impaired driving in the roadmap report, specifically impaired uh, ignition interlocks, which is basically someone who's been convicted of drunk driving has to blow into a piece of technology that measures their blood alcohol content before they can start the car, uh, has definitely been shown to reduce accidents uh, and crashes. Unfortunately, the research has shown, folks like Matt have done, is that folks that have a suspended license because they were convicted of drunk driving continue to drive even after a license is suspended, and they continue to drive while intoxicated. So an ignition interlock device is so critical because it really gets after the hardest group of folks that we've really had a trouble getting to, which is repeat offenders. Peter, there are three grades, red, yellow, and green, that are assigned to each state, and Mississippi received a yellow grade, which I assume is in the middle. What does that mean? It is. It is in the middle. It's actually, there's some good news for Mississippi is they went up from a red rating in 26, or last year in 2017. In our 2018 remote map report, they have a yellow rating, which means, and the reason for that is because they enacted uh, a law that requires everyone in the rear seat of a vehicle in Mississippi to wear a seatbelt. And that's really a very critical law because we have seen that rear seat passengers are three times more likely to die in a crash if they're unbelted. So that's good news for Mississippi. They're going in the right direction. That was a critical upgrade to the state safety laws. Another bill that you mentioned uh, earlier that is pending right now in the legislature would enact an open container law in Mississippi that prohibit people from having open containers of alcohol while uh, driving in the state. And that is currently pending before the House Judiciary Committee. It's H830 is the bill number. And that would be another critical upgrade in the state's traffic laws that would improve its rating. I see in a number of states, minimum age 16 for learner's permit. I know it's less than 16 in Mississippi. Are young people most likely to be in an accident? Young people are certainly overrepresented when it comes to fatal crash rates. Unfortunately, 15 and 16-year-olds have a much higher crash rate than 17 and 18-year-olds. And then does the number jump to the older you are, the more likely you might be to be in an accident? It really depends on a number, you know, how they break down the age groups, but it certainly depends. Uh, The thing that we have seen, though, is states that have this graduated driver licensing law, and Mississippi is is really missing a lot of these obstacle components. The states that do have have it. We've seen crash rates, crash rates for teen, teen drivers um, reduce by as much as 30%. So it's a significant reduction in crashes. What should our legislature address of these recommendations you've talked about? What's most important, do you think? They're all important. <laughs> um, they're absolutely all important. That's one of the things 
um, that we talked about in the report that really, have a, if you have a comprehensive safety law, um, that's the best way, along with the emerging technologies that we talk about in the report, of really getting at the heart of trying to reduce some of these awful, tragic numbers that we see on the roads. But if you look specifically at, at the great state of Mississippi, um, the real gap in their current laws of the laws that we rate is in that graduated driver licensing program for those new young drivers that are really the most vulnerable on our roads are those young teen drivers that are just getting their permit and their license. Peter, where can people see this report? Sure, you can go right to our website. It's saferoads.org, S-A-F-E-R-O-A-D-S.org, and the entire report's right there. Peter Kurdog is an Advocates Regulatory Affairs Director for Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety. Peter, thank you so much. Good to be with you. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Deep South Dining. Then at 10 o'clock, it's Now You're Talking. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy, Healthy and Fit. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi edition, only on MPB Think Radio. An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. Coming up on MPB Classics, Good Morning Blues, an hour-long documentary produced in 1978. Hosted by B.B. King, this film documents the history of the blues music that was born in the Mississippi Delta. It features rare performances from artists such as Big Joe Williams, Houston Stackhouse, Furry Lewis, and many more. Join us for Good Morning Blues, Monday, February 5th at 9 p.m. on MPB Television. Support for Mississippi Edition comes from Trustmark, featuring My Trustmark online and mobile banking. Monitor accounts and information, transfer funds, create special alerts and reminders. Details at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC.